TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here. On TuneIn, go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. After investing billions to light up our network, T-Mobile is America's largest 5G network. Plus, right now, you can switch, keep your phone, and we'll pay it off up to $800. See how you can save on every plan versus Verizon and AT&T at T-Mobile.com slash across America. Up to four lines via virtual prepaid card. Allowed 15 days. Qualifying unlocked device credit service ported 90 plus days with device and eligible carrier and timely redemption required. Card has no cash access and expires in six months. Hey, hey, welcome back. It is Hardline here on News Radio 930 WBEN. Good morning. If you're just joining us, if you missed the first hour, Later in the day, you can find that on demand at WBEN.com. But right now, Dr. Tom Russo from the Jacobs School of Medicine is joining us. Dr. Russo, good morning. Good morning, Joe. Before we get to uh, talking COVID, how did you fare with the uh, windstorm last night? <laughs> well, the, the deer on the front lawn took a beating. Uh, but, uh, you know, the... Uh, other than that, we did okay. No major trees down. So thanks for asking. The the deer took a pre-Christmas flight? It did. It did. I think the neighbor owns it now. <laughs> well, Dr. Russo, as uh, as we know, as we uh, talked uh, last uh, segment, you were speaking at the um, county executive's press briefing on Tuesday. Um, gave us a lot of information. Before we cover that uh this morning i'm seeing a lot of new information on the booster and this israel study with the pfizer booster and omicron uh initial numbers are looking good correct well they are so let's break down the booster first for the delta variant which at this time in this country really remains the dominant variant and it's really causing all of the damage so uh, we have data coming out of israel that was obtained when they were in the midst of their Delta wave. So compared to having two shots of Pfizer, if you receive that third booster, you were 90% less likely to die. That's a pretty good number for me. So that's 90% less that third shot on top of two shots. Okay, we're not talking about the unvaccinated here. We're talking about two going to three, a 90% decrease in mortality. And for that same group, when you go to that third shot, you're 20 fold less likely to develop severe disease. Now, this was in individuals 50 years and older, okay? Not less than 50, but 50 years and older, which we know is our most vulnerable group. So at the end of the day, I think this is extremely strong data that really should inspire everyone to get that booster shot. Now, let's jump to Omicron as well. And. UK is going to be the country that we're going to want to follow in terms of getting a sense of what may be coming here in the U.S. Um, the UK has a great surveillance system, so they'll be able to track Omicron cases, and they'll be able to determine whether it could outcompete Delta. They also have a similar vaccination rate as this country, albeit maybe not with quite as good of vaccines as we have, since they use a lot of um, um, the uh, vaccine 
that um, is less effective, but they use some of Pfizer as well, the AstraZeneca vaccine. Uh, and, um, uh, you know, their population is quite similar to ours, and Omicron has already showed up there. So we have some early data that if you only have uh, been vaccinated with the AstraZeneca vaccine, it really does almost nothing if you've had just two shots. If you have the AstraZeneca vaccine and get a Pfizer booster, you get protection from infection up to about 71%. If you were vaccinated with two shots with Pfizer, you're sitting at about 35%. And if you get boosted with Pfizer against Omicron, it jumps your protection from infection up to 75%. But this is very early data, Joe, so we're going to have to see, uh, you know, in terms of this pans out at small numbers at this point. But I think what all of this data is telling us in total, whether we're dealing with Delta, whether we're dealing with Omicron, the way to go right now is get that booster shot in your arm to maximize your protection. And, uh, and that's obviously going to uh, help us as we move forward to try to put this pandemic to an end. You say to maximize your protection. So say I got my second uh, Moderna shot on April 20th, all right, and I have not gotten a booster yet. What kind of protection do I have right now on December 12th? Against the Delta variant, um, your protection, and if you got Pfizer, you're probably sitting somewhere against infection in that um, mid-40% range. If you got Moderna, you're probably sitting somewhere in the mid-50% range. If you got just a single shot of J&J, by the way, you're probably sitting somewhere in the mid-teens. Obviously, our protection against uh, more severe disease, fortunately, is much better but you're still probably sitting somewhere uh, in the 70s to 80s percent range. So um, you definitely have some protection. It's better than having nothing at all, Um, but you could do a lot better by getting that booster shot. And I think uh, I'd like to think that most people would want to have optimal protection, not only for their own personal health benefits, but obviously if you do get infected and suffer a breakthrough infection, that increases the transmission chain. You could transmit it to others. And if you interact with people, obviously, loved ones that are vulnerable, um, that would be particularly problematic. So, so against infections, around 50% with Moderna, but against severe cases, it still holds up. Obviously not as good as if you had gotten a booster, but against ending up in the hospital, that protection still holds up um, six months on when it comes to the Moderna shot. Yeah, it holds up pretty well. I mean, it depends how you look at it. Um, you know, if you if it holds up somewhere in the 80s, but if you could get it up into the 90s, I don't know, Joe, I always like every every little uh, edge I could get is always a good thing. But but it does hold up much better for severe disease, hospitalizations and bad outcomes and infections. There's no question about that. Um, but I even though I, I think the message that I'd like to give people is that, um, you know, the sky is not falling if you haven't received the booster shot. You'll be more susceptible to getting a breakthrough infection. You'll have a much greater degree of protection against more severe uh, infection and and severe disease. But maximize that with the booster. Give yourself every edge. And and this is particularly important because our hospital systems right now are cuspy in terms of uh, the number of people in hospital. We have very few open beds. Once again, we're starting to stress our hospital systems. And we know when the hospital systems get stressed, if you land in hospital, you're likely not to have as good an outcome, whether you have COVID or non-COVID disease, just because of the stress of the system. So that booster shot not only is going to help you as an individual, 
but it's going to help our community as well and really minimize bad outcomes. Uh, so it's really the way to go right now. I can't emphasize enough how important it is to get that booster shot. Dr. Russo, um, talking about Omicron, what do we know? Do we know anything more about this virus since we last talked to you? Well, we're starting to get an increasing body of data that suggests it's going to be more transmissible than Delta, perhaps. Uh, it's not a done deal yet. And as I, as I said, you know, we'll follow the UK closely and we should have a pretty good sense of that. But early data out of UK shows that cases are increasing at a significant rate. Um, they're well over a thousand now and have been going up fairly rapidly. And Delta was the dominant variant there. So it seems to be displacing Delta and such data suggests that it's uh, more infectious than Delta. There's been, you know, various guesstimates in terms of how much more infectious. Um, we know Delta is very infectious, so if it's um, more infectious than Delta, obviously that's going to be problematic. There's also data out of the UK that I sort of mentioned that um, protections from our vaccines is going to be imperfect. With the booster, it gets up to 75%, but you're living in the low 30s with just two shots of Pfizer. And with AstraZeneca, you know, you have no protection unless you get boosted with Pfizer. Um, and so that's obviously a little bit concerning. And I think that would then translate over if you haven't been vaccinated, but you've been previously infected, the probably your degree of protection is probably going to be uh, uh, not great either. Um, the key thing here, though, is what we don't know. It's more transmissible. Perhaps our prior immunity is not going to be optimal and we'll have more breakthrough infections. Will it, though, cause more severe disease? If you do get infected, you know, will that result in hospitalizations and bad outcomes? And right now, that is really what's uncertain. The hope is that even though it may be more infectious and more resistant uh, to our vaccination, um, that it won't cause more severe disease. Uh, but if we get a huge increase in cases, even if a small fraction of people get severe disease and less so than Delta, that may be problematic depending on the magnitude of new cases. And so right now, I think that's the most important unanswered question. How virulent is Omicron? How likely you are to get severe disease? And, uh, and, that, and that really is going to be the key in terms of what's going to happen moving forward uh, and the impact this variant is going to have on us. Is there any, um, anything showing how many of the hospitalizations in certain parts of the world are Omicron hospitalizations, or is that information not there? Yeah, it's really pretty sparse at this point. Um, the CDC reported on Friday on 43 cases in the U.S. Interestingly, 80% of them were in vaccinated individuals. Most of them, though, had just two shots in their arms. A few had gotten three shots, but many of those had just recently gotten that third booster shot, so it probably hadn't optimally kicked in. Of those 43 cases, one was hospitalized without any details. So, you know, again, it's early days, uh, and I haven't really seen any data out of the U.K. in terms of hospitalizations. In South Africa, where we first heard about Omicron, um, cases have been increasing rapidly. There was no really many Delta cases around, so it didn't really have to compete with Delta in South Africa. Their population, though, is much less vaccinated, somewhere about in the mid to high 20s. It's a much younger population as well. So it's not quite analogous to our situation here. Uh, initially, there weren't any hospitalizations that were described from Omicron, and now they're describing some increasing hospitalizations that may be due to Omicron. Um, but again, 
uh, details are somewhat sparse on that. So um, I think we're unfortunately still in a waiting game to see um, how uh, Omicron is going to do in terms of uh, causing more severe disease. And I think that's going to be the key metric at this point. Dr. Russo, uh, we heard Dr. Fauci earlier this week uh, hint that fully vaccinated, that that definition might change um, for certain places where there are mandates. Uh, Would you support uh, fully vaccinated, meaning people with a booster shot at some point uh, down the line uh, with, with COVID? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've been feeling for a while now that fully vaccinated is not a single J&J or two uh, Moderna's or or Pfizer vaccines. Um, You know, or to state it alternatively, we know that if you're, you know, uh, got a single shot of uh, J&J back in March and April, right now your protection against infection is probably living in the, you know, mid to high teens, low 20s at best. So if you have a gym full of people with just a single shot of J&J in their arm, uh, and they're exercising away, I, I don't think we could feel comfortable that, you know, those individuals might not be infectious and potentially transmit to others. Whereas we get boosted, then we get those levels of protection way back, at least up against Delta, into the 90s again, right? And so, um, that affords, so I think that from a public health point of view, if you want to optimize safety and minimize the chances of someone being infectious in the venue, we mass might be down, which is when we're vulnerable in the indoor setting, such as bars, restaurants, uh, potentially gyms, et cetera, that, you know, either a boosted J&J with the Pfizer or Moderna as their second shot or three shots of some combination of Pfizer and Moderna affords the maximum degree of protection, minimizes the chances of someone there would be infectious. And, and obviously, if everyone has three shots in their arm, even if someone's infectious, they have a high degree of protection against that individual, so it would really minimize risk. Um, right now, with the definition of fully vaccinated being a single J&J or two Pfizer's and Moderna's, uh, that risk is, uh, is not insignificant. So that's how I feel about it. I think it, this definition unequivocally is going to change as we move forward, the timing of which is uncertain. Dr. Russo, you know, we've heard a lot about masks. We heard you talk about masks on Tuesday. Um, But I was in New York City last weekend, and I was really surprised with all the free testing stations um, around New York City. I mean, you don't have to be from New York. You could walk into a tent, get a free test, and 30 minutes later, you get your results. And, you know, we don't have that here in Erie County. I mean, you can call and get a free test, but most people are paying $60, $70 out of pocket for a rapid test. Do you think uh, access to more free testing would be uh, another way to combat COVID-19? Absolutely. Uh, we, people need to remember that no single measure is going to get it done. Now, obviously, vaccination is the best mitigation measure, and we just discussed the importance of being optimally vaccinated with that uh, booster shot. But other mitigation measures, such as mask usage, you know, when you stay home, when you're sick, obviously, uh, you know, optimal ventilations in indoor settings and testing are additional critical measures where if you have rapid access to testing, if someone is symptomatic or even had an exposure and they get tested and they're positive, then they can go isolate and that'll help break the transmission chain. So no single measure in of itself is going to get it done. But if we package all of these things together, um, then it's really going to uh, really keep uh, cases down to uh, lower levels and try to get us through this wave that we're experiencing right now. And you're absolutely right, Joe. Testing has uh, uh, been problematic in terms of 
not only access and cost, but turnaround time as well. Another thing that we've sort of been waiting for are these rapid at-home tests that are reliable, which would also be helpful, you know, that, you know, like a pregnancy test, and you could test yourself. And so if you're positive, then you could go ahead and get that confirmed and, and do the appropriate measures in terms of isolating. Um, they've been challenging to get as well. Uh, and so testing remains one of these areas that you think would have a down at this point where everyone that wants a test to get a test uh, that would be either free or inexpensive, readily available, uh, and the people that should get tested, either those with symptoms, those that have been in close contact and had an exposure, or they're going to be getting in some sort of gathering indoors with other people would mass it down, and you want to minimize the chances that someone might be asymptomatically infected. So there's lots of uses of these tests that could be helpful, but it all hinges on what you pointed out. You know, we have to have them. They have to be cheap or free and readily available, and it, it's been, you know, less than optimal uh, here in western New York, as you know. Long lines at the testing centers, if you look at those parking lots. Yeah, and, you know, and that's that's the – I know the county's got uh, money for COVID, and, you know, like I said, it was so – it was in, in New York City. You could just go anywhere, and let's be honest, Dr. Russo, $70 is going to turn a lot of people away to say, eh, you know what, I'm vaccinated, I'll just risk it. I absolutely agree with you. Even less than $70, right? Yeah. I mean, I, you know, free is always good, but I think people, you know, if, it, if it's the price of, you know, uh, maybe a McDonald's hamburger, you know, five bucks or less or something, maybe we'd go for that, right? But, you know, above that, and, and lots of people, frankly speaking, don't have the re- resources to go ahead and do that. So any cost could be a deterrent. We do not want to set up barriers, obviously, for this. And so, um, you know, if, if we could get free testing, um, that would be great, and I think then more people would go ahead and get tested. And obviously, the more tests we have, identifying people that are infectious, um, that's going to be extraordinarily helpful. You know, with uh, vaccine mandates seemingly right around the corner, uh, not only for Erie County, but probably for a lot of businesses to get around those mask mandates, a lot of people are asking about natural immunity. And, and I know we've talked about this before, so I think I'm going to ask it in a different way. What if someone who just had COVID, they're fully vaccinated, um, Oh, hold on. Let me re-ask. They're not vaccinated, and their doctor says they have to wait 30 or 60 days. Do you think there is some kind of pass that could be given for a number of days, for a month or two months, where someone with natural immunity could act as a vaccinated person, as we are seeing in some places around the world? So it is an interesting question, Joe. And I think that the biggest challenge with that is uh, twofold before we go into some timing of those individuals when they could get vaccinated. Uh, First, when you have infection, particularly if you have asymptomatic or mild infection, uh, uh, the immune response, the protective response is variable. So given that, what would be great is, and if you get vaccinated, that response is much more predictable. So, you know, secondly, some people that thought they might have been infected actually says, oh, I was infected with and I had already had COVID. They might not have actually had it because they didn't get tested. Uh, And so, you know, how you document someone was truly infected or not, and do they have a high enough level of protection where, you know, they would be equivalent to someone vaccinated is challenging, um, not only in terms of establishing and the documentation they were infected, but we don't have a test right now that we could say, okay, let's test you and check your antibody levels or some other surrogate measure to see if you're protected. That unfortunately doesn't exist. And if we had that, it would be uh, a lot better. Now, having said that, people that got infected in the first March-April wave and then the 
holiday surge last year, their immunity is probably waning, and they're probably not in a very good place. And I can't strongly recommend enough if those individuals have not been vaccinated. Do not rely on that uh, immunity from infection. Please get vaccinated because you have uh, the same way our vaccines are waning, so is that immunity from prior infection. If, however, you've been infected more recently in the Delta wave, which began here in New York, uh, in western New York, about mid-July, you're probably against Delta at least, uncertain how it's going to match up with Omicron. But at least against Delta, you're going to have for at least three months a pretty good degree of protection. And it's probably going to be just as good as vaccine-induced protection. Now, how long it lasts is uncertain. We think it's probably going to be good for at least three months, um, but that remains to be seen. If you've been infected recently with Delta, say, you know, any time in this most recent wave, you don't really have to wait 60 or 90 days if you want to then go ahead and uh, get the, you know, the, uh, you know, the documentation that you've been vaccinated if such max vaccine mandates come in place. You really could get vaccinated anytime once your symptoms resolve. Early on, we were saying wait 90 days because that's when vaccines were limited and we knew that protection from uh, uh, infection would last at least three months. But at this point, if your symptoms are resolved, you'd like to get vaccinated for whatever reason. And by the way, that combination of being infected and subsequently vaccinated gives you a dynamite antibody response uh, after really even after that first shot. Um, once your symptoms are gone, you're good to go. You don't have to wait 60 days. You don't have to wait 90 days. And people are concerned about, well, if I've been infected and I get vaccinated, well, I have more severe reactogenic symptoms or more adverse reactions. The answer is no, you will not. Um, so it is safe to go ahead and do so as well. Dr. Russo, one final question. And um, I'm thought, you know, we have the mask mandate going to effect at midnight tonight or midnight tomorrow. I, I always say it wrong. So 11.59 tonight, I know, is a, is a good time to put on it. Uh, New York State, what do you think of establishments and businesses that are going, are waiving the mask mandate and going right to a vaccine mandate? Well, as we discussed, because people that have only had a single J&J or just two Pfizer Modernas, their protection is not optimal. Um, if, you're, if an establishment goes ahead and waives the mask mandate for full vaccination, but if you're an individual that is vulnerable for whatever reason, because you're um, you know, maybe immunocompromised or you're one of more uh, frail seniors that, um, you know, the response to vaccination may not be optimal. Or if you've only got that single J&J or those two Pfizer Moderna, so you might not have optimal protection, I think it would be prudent for you to still wear your mask um, because I think that the, the new definition really needs to be the three shots or the Johnson & Johnson boosted with the Pfizer and Moderna. So I think every individual has to gauge the relative risk and everyone has different risks. Uh, aversions. Um, but um, the example I like to use, Joe, is how would you feel going into a gym? Everyone's working out hard and everyone's had a single J&J. Would you want to have your mask down, you know, with the high community burden of disease we have? That would probably be a risky venue. And obviously, if you're vulnerable uh, due to your underlying health conditions and or age, uh, then it would put you perhaps in a precarious situation. So that's sort of how I see it uh, at this point. 
I lied. I have one more question. Uh, we see around the country these kids um, eating outside in the cold um, so they can take their masks down. Do you think that is a little uh, beyond the measures needed to be taken? Because we talk about kids sitting outside for 30, 40 minutes. That opens them up to a, a whole other slew of, uh, of, of issues. Um, do you think these schools that are having kids eat outside in the cold is just going a little too far when it comes to COVID restrictions? Yeah, I haven't seen that, and uh, I'm not quite sure where they're doing it and what part of the country. Every every situation has to be individualized in terms of the nature of that school, the ventilation, how many children they were would be crowded in the lunchroom, you know, with the ongoing community burden of diseases. But, uh, yes, I mean, obviously, uh, we, you know, we... Uh, we don't want to expose our children, obviously, to a situation that could be potentially worse. Um, so it's difficult to say without knowing all the details in that particular situation was going on. But I don't certainly think I'd like to see my child out there freezing. But, on, you know, on the other hand, I would also like to make sure if they had lunch indoors that all potential mitigation measures were in place and that they were, you know, in a well-ventilated space and optimally spread out and, you know, masks were sort of going up between bites and things like that because uh, COVID, of course, is, uh, you know, an unpredictable disease even for our children, and we want to make every effort to protect them. And so the devil's always in the details, Joe, but uh, (laughs) we don't want to freeze our kids to death, but we also want to protect them from COVID, and I'm not quite sure what the best path is in a given schooling situation. And I have one more question. I know I said three questions ago. It was my last one. I promise this is my last one. Uh, we, we talked about gyms. You know, my, my big focus is – What's that? Is this going to be how about the Bills today are going to beat the Bucks? Is that what the question is? All right, I have two more questions then. I have two. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we talk about gyms a lot because I, I am one of those people, Dr. Russo, I am not a big fan of, of working out in a mask. Um, say if a gym put a vaccine mandate in – or if a gym separated their machines, uh, let's say even eight feet instead of the six feet. You know, I, I go to the gym in the middle of the afternoon, Dr. Russo, it is me, the counter person, and maybe two other people. Um, is there a way where we could spread things out in a gym setting? Because last I looked, gyms, the, the spread in gyms wasn't too significantly high. Is there a way we could spread those out where it would be a safer environment where we could remove masks for those who are working out? Yeah, unfortunately, there's nothing magical about six feet. As we know, this, you know, there could be spread over greater distances through smaller aerosol-bound particles. I think that if you're a gym person and working out is really important to you, get your booster shot. That is the best way to protect yourself, uh, particularly if you're uncomfortable wearing a mask when you're working out, which I appreciate is the case for many individuals. So in, in that particular instance, get that booster shot. It does take two weeks to have really some optimal clinical benefits. So the antibodies increase a lot sooner. Remember we talked about in the beginning of the pandemic that you got nothing for the first two weeks. You do get something with the booster shot over the first two weeks, but to really get a a pretty good level of protection, you need that two-week mark. So it's a bit of a proper planning as well. And obviously with the upcoming holidays, you know, outside of the gym, you know, that's maybe a great holiday gift is getting that booster shot. So when you show up for, you know, either the ongoing or the upcoming religious holidays, New Year's celebration, um, that uh, you'll be well protected and you'll be protecting others with your optimal degree of protection. So booster shots, I think, is much better in that setting than going from six to eight feet. All right. How about those bills? Did they get back to winning today or what? You know, I am an optimist. I know everyone's down and it was a Monday night was tough. Uh, I think they're going to ha- uh, they're going to surprise us. 
I think that they're going to win in win in a mini shootout, and um, I, I think we're going to be feeling better tomorrow. Uh, fingers crossed. Let's everyone think positive. It could only help. Well, I, I hope you're right, and here's the thing. I know I'm talking to you later in the week, so uh, hopefully we uh, we talk about how right you were. <laughs> That's right. We can only hope. <laughs> Dr. Tom Russo, thank you so much for joining me this morning. Yeah, you take care. Thanks for having me on. That is Dr. Tom Russo from the Jacobs School of Medicine. I am late for news, so let's get an update right now here on WBEN. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively sports. Back clock at four. Doncic. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. Yes, and even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. Welcome back. The final segment here of Hardline on WBEN. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. If you missed any of the show, it'll be available on demand at WBEN.com and on that always handy Odyssey app. We spoke with Joe Larigo in the first hour, speaking with a legislator from the other side of the aisle this hour, Gene Vinyl. Gene, thanks for joining me this morning. Thank you. Gene, before we get to uh, the Bill Stadium and COVID, how did you fare with the uh, windstorm last night? Uh, we lost a bunch of branches, and uh, we lost a little sections of our roof, which someone's going to come look at tomorrow. But otherwise, we, we're good. Well, good to hear that. But out of the four guests this morning, Gene, you have the most damage. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but uh, hope, hopefully, it's all, hopefully it's all minor, and uh, it'll be a quick fix. Yes, yes. Uh, now, this week you had the three um, the three meetings on the stadium, virtual, to hear from the public. Uh, what would you say was the most you learned about what the public wants from this new stadium? Well, I think that it's clear that there's, like, real divergence on the, um, on the stadium. I mean, some people are very adamant of downtown. Some people are adamant on keeping it in Orchard Park. Some people are very adamant on the dome stadiums. My one takeaway on it was, and some people are very against giving money to, um, you know, to uh, billionaires and other people uh, are thinking that it's inevitable and that because the state's giving part of the money that it's a benefit to Buffalo that, you know, we're leveraging money from the state. So the divergent opinions is one thing that is just reflective of every conversation. My nephew and his wife they're adamant sports fans, and one definitely wants Orchard Park. One definitely wants uh, Buffalo. The uh, one that's Republican, he wants Buffalo. The one that's a Democrat, she wants Orchard Park. So, I mean, it's the people are very divergent on it. Um, the one I was thinking about, you know how Yogi Berra said that when you um, get to the fork in the road, take it? 
it's there is something about that after hearing for the three days of it and um, I listened to all the comments for the three days and reached out to some of the people that I thought had good ideas to get more information etc um, but um, you know that at some point I want us to make a decision and not wallow in the uncertainty of um, what to do and I'm hoping that we get the best deal as possible with the Pagulas paying um, as much as they will pay uh, obviously not losing the bills, but also getting as much as we can from the state. I'm hoping with Kathy Hochul that, you know, she loves Buffalo, that I'm hoping that we can get as much as we can from the state. So um, that's what I took away from it. And probably, I'm guessing you probably took away sort of the similar kind of a, a feeling on it. Yeah, you know, I, I, um, I'm, I'm with the people that want to keep it in Orchard Park for one reason, and this is something I wanted to ask you. Um, you know, downtown Buffalo would be great. Believe me, I've been to a lot of downtown stadiums. It's awesome to have everything right there. Uh, but was this discussed by the public or something that you've been thinking of? Uh, I know it's something that Brian Mazarowski and I ta- have talked about when we do this topic, and that is the infrastructure downtown just not being ready for a stadium of that size. Was that brought up by anyone, or is that something that you and the legislature have thought about? Well, I mean, people did definitely bring that up as far as for transportation um, and things of that nature and the, the uh, NFL requiring so much distance around the stadium. Um, I believe it was Rocco Termini that said that instead of having that distance, couldn't we have the 190 bordering one side of it? Um, I, I think that the, I mean, one aspect of it is that there is a, a private entity component of it that I was thinking about, like, I mean, that, you know, I mean, I wanted my two of my, my brother and my sister to move right near us, and I even showed them houses right near us, but they, you know, one moved into uh, Clarence, and, you know, so, I mean, there's a private element of the bills have to agree to something on it. That's one aspect, and um, I do think that something could be done to make uh, Buffalo, to have that infrastructure. I think it uh, would delay things somewhat and uh, would obviously cost more. But in the end, um, this is one thing that I, it really was more, I put also my Facebook to get people's opinions on it. And my two of my brothers um, made a comment that sort of changed my thinking a little bit on the Buffalo is that, um, you know, that I, I have an economics degree undergraduate. And so I always, you know, read economics things and so forth. Well, anyway, the, the actual um, legitimate studies on the economic impact of a stadium uh, say that, there's no economic benefit to the location. And if anything, it's an economic decrease. And the small, uh, the increases are, that are there uh, are just go to such a few, like a handful of people, not even, you know, to the community. But then my one brother lives in Denver, and he said that, you know, it did make an impact around uh, the neighborhood that it was in. He felt it made an impact around there. So, I I mean, I do think that... Um, that, that we could work on Buffalo. The only fear I have also is that if the bills are so dead set on it staying in Orchard Park, that even though we're partially funding it, I don't want this to be a signature bridge where we're talking about it for the next, you know, two generations. I want it to be, you know, that I, and I don't want to, you know, lose the bills either, obviously, but um, that made me think it could be possible. Um, I, I'd rather have it be in Buffalo. And I think, uh, but on the other hand, I would, rather have a decision made than just, um, you know, there's benefits to both. There's pros and cons of both Buffalo and Orchard Park, obviously. So uh, I did want to bring up one little point is that people talk about, like, the democracy aspect of it. I mean, we do elect our, our executive to be the chief negotiator for things like this. 
and the legislature uh, obviously votes it up or down. Um, and they, you know, they did contract with a, a place that does negotiations to help them with that. And um, but I hope that with those hearings, I hope that the Pagulas, and I'm sure they did listen, but I hope they take to heart uh, some of the issues that were brought up. Like, did you hear that? Like a few of the people brought up about getting funding for community benefits, and I think that's really important. Um, other people brought up, um, you know, issues with regard to transportation. Uh, public transportation isn't really available close to the uh, in Orchard Park, and uh, and if it is in Buffalo, that that would also need to that part of the infrastructure. So I I hope that they were listening and took seriously these fans that donate so much. And the the one thing that wasn't stated to us yet is what are going to be the costs of those licensing and what's going to be cost of the seat prices. And will that, I just, I'm really worried about that aspect that we really haven't received any information on that from the bills as to whether that's going to make it so that fewer and fewer people can afford going to the bills game. And that I think would be a shame. Gene, was there a was there a, a a winner when it came to outside or dome stadium? Did did people favor a dome stadium more than an open air? Um, I think that uh, that in general that people favored the um, dome stadium. Some people said they liked the experience. There was one man who was a uh, an engineer for um, <clears throat> he did the. Um, Michigan Street Bridge, and he's a um, site engineer, site engineer planner. Anyway, but he had this great idea, I thought, which either on the existing stadium or on a new stadium to have like two arches, which would be aesthetically pleasing, he thought, and in a simple way. But then from that, you could have a retractable roof, and he had some plans and everything. Even our clerk, Bobby Graver, asked him to put him up again, and I actually reached out to him to ask for that. I, I thought that was uh, some kind of an idea, but they, they, um, it would. They claim that it's not going to make that great of an increase in the usage of it, but I just think that it would increase it somewhat. And to have all that money go for such a small number of Bills games, that if we could increase the usage. Also, I think this should be an opportunity to try to take back some of the things that were given away by prior administrations, like the parking and the concessions and the total use of the stadium during the whole year where they get the revenue for it. Um, so I think that I hope that we'll go into the negotiations that we try to take back some of that so that we can spread the wealth a little bit amongst other groups than just the Bagulas and the Jacobs family. You, you know, you, you speak of uh, the negotiations and uh, the county executive being the uh, the negotiator. Do you think the, the county executive has too much power and that the legislature should be somewhat involved as they were elected the checks and balance of the county executive? I think that they are they're 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 definitely um the the checks and balances are that you know I'm in an executive branch that you can't have um you know you can't negotiate by committee uh you need somebody to be the you know the one that it stops there and the legislative uh branch does exert power and does exert um you know by keeping the lines of communication over open so, you know, I've had communication with the county executive um, and so have a lot of other legislators about the status and what's going on. And he's kept an open door on that regard. Um, so I, I, I do think that there's a, I mean, that's the way our, our system is set up. The county, it's a strange thing. It's like, you know, we are, uh, you know, for civics wise, that like our states, most of our laws come from our state, New York state. 
And then uh, we're home rule, so the second most probably is through local city and town, or second most for legislation, and then the federal, either with them or beneath them. The county, as far as laws go, is the least. So it's mostly the county is really designed in New York State to be, um, you know, to, to spread the money that comes from the, the state and federal governments and local and do some regional work. It's not as much in, leg- in making legislation as other branches. So I do think that the way it's set up is that this is a county-owned property that's being leased, supposedly, although the lease rate is so low um, that it's, I hope that also changes. Uh, but I don't think that it's um, a- appropriate that I-, I do think we need communication. Yes, definitely. But as far as they have the idea of having, you know, 13 people negotiate with the Pagulas and with the state, I don't think that's a workable solution. It's definitely not part of our uh, charter. Now, I also that's that that that's a great leeway into COVID and the way the county has handled COVID nineteen. Uh, two years into this, what are your thoughts on the county executive still having emergency powers when it comes to COVID nineteen legislation? Well, under the um, the state executive law, um, that he can have emergency power really is more for contracting to say still. Each contract has to be approved by the uh, county legislator, but it changes the length of time for uh, getting bids and the need for getting bids is the most of it. Um, the, as far as like the health department, the one thing that the county does do, like we don't, um, you know, can't, the schools are regulated by the state and the actual, you know, school boards. The hospitals are regulated by the state. We can't, you know, uh, we can't usurp that. Even like, you know, prisons and holding centers, the way that they must be run, that's ruled by the state. The county can't put their two cents in. The one thing that we do control as a county is public health, like restaurants and making sure that, you know, restaurants um, keep their meat at a certain temperature, people wash their hands and things like that. So um, so public health is something that the county is uh, able to regulate, and each one isn't by uh, a law. It is by the executive branch. So, so long as it's not unreasonable, you know, capricious and uh, um, arbitrary. So as far as like with the mask mandates, I don't know if you wanted to get into that or just in general. Well, no, mask mandates, that, that's, that's fine. My, my question also to, to go on top of mask mandates is, do you think there should be a time uh, that the legislature is able to also have a say um, with the county executive, I, I obviously Democrats having the majority, uh, I think the the county executive would get his way. Uh, but don't you think after two years that the legislature should have some say, some uh, be in on some of these uh, mandates that the county executive is putting out? Yeah, I mean, I think that we um, that the I mean, as far as our the way our charter is set up, that the executive branch runs the health department. We don't run the health department. If we're going to make a law that it takes a while to have a law go through and it's some of the, you know, the the county, uh, I mean, I think certain individual legislators are trying to inflate the power of the county legislators, uh, but the actual like charter power is more up and down votes on things like that. We can do certain laws that are how the county operates, but as far as like, you know, um, health department, I do think that if we were... Um, you know, unified against something that we could make that change ourselves. But I don't think that we're the majority of, um, and frankly, the majority of people in Erie County, I don't think are against uh, what Pullman Cars is uh, 
and the health department are doing with regard to COVID. I think the majority are actually in favor of what he's doing. Um, just in the idea of, um, you know, masking in public places right now when the hospital rates are so high. Even I was listening to um, your show from two weeks ago, and um, Cohen uh, was was there, who I know and like as an attorney. But at that point, he was saying that the, the number of, of COVID patients was 5 to 10% in hospitals. Now it's 20%. So it's a, and yesterday, 11 people died of COVID. And if you take the yearly number of deaths in Erie County, you know, in, historically, it's on average 27 people die a day in Erie County, to speak frankly. So 11 people dying of COVID when the expected number of total deaths is 27, that's not just seasonal in my mind. Obviously, there's a seasonality of it because in cold weather, there's a transmission and, you know, that there's, there's definitely seasonality of it. Uh, but that's not just seasonal. So there is something that needs to get done. And a mask mandate is such a, um, I mean, I heard you say that you don't like working out with a mask, but a mask mandate in general is is not as much not that much of an intrusion, I don't think. I mean, do you think it's that much of an intrusion? Well, Gene, I, something that I, I have said, and I think I've been pretty uh, consistent with this, is you, you go to a grocery store, you go to, you want me to wear a mask at a grocery store, at a, at a, at a, at a place where it's essential for people to go? I don't think you'd hear many people complaining. Uh, but places where we don't see high numbers of spread, like a gym, like a bar and restaurant, a bar and restaurant where I'm taking my mask off as soon as I sit down anyway, I think a lot more people would like to see situational things that make sense. I think a lot of people look at the restaurant mask mandate and say, this doesn't make any sense, and it's not the leader of spread. The leader of spread is at home. But the, saying the leader of spread is at home is kind of um... – you know, it's like, yes, they contracted it at home, but we're like, for example, my father-in-law moved in with us in April because he couldn't live at home anymore. And so, so if he gets COVID, he's getting it at home, but it didn't come from the walls or the light socket or the vent. It came from another human being coming into our home, whether it be my husband, me, or someone else and giving it to him at home. Gene, you bring up another great point that I wanted to ask you before we uh, before we end here, and that is the access to testing. Um, something we talked about with Dr. Russo last segment. You know, I, I, I was in New York last weekend. Um, there was testing on every corner. Now, again, I realize Erie County is not New York City, um, but do you think the county could make free rapid testing more accessible to people to also combat COVID nineteen? Um, I do think so, and I did want to point out to the people that there is. Um, free county testing for the, um, you know, for the lab tests, uh, which are better. And those are, those are uh, free. And if they, um, and so I, when we asked Burstein about that, because, uh, you know, that was an issue as well. And um, she said, because they're not accurate, that she didn't, uh, the rapid testing that they wanted to spend their money on the, the more accurate tests. Um, I know you can get them at drugstores for twenty dollars for two tests, the the home tests, and they're not that much difference as far as than the the uh, sixty dollar test. But if um, and I do think that we that that should be something that goes uh, that we should give more uh, testing options um, so that people can get rapid tests. I do think that that would be a good use of it, uh, county funds. And I and I and I I understand the lab testing, but you know a, a lot of people and and Gene, you work in the real world. You know a lot of people don't have one to three days to wait for their lab result lab results. If they had a rapid test and they knew to stay at home because they had COVID, 
Um, I think that would also play into it. And it's just, you know, we see what happened in Monroe County over the weekend. They're giving seven test kits uh, to the people of Monroe County. Uh, I mean, in real real world, people aren't spending 60, 70 bucks. They'll say, eh, it's probably not COVID. Um, I just was wondering if that's something that the county is looking at to do, you know, kind of soon uh, with the holidays right around the corner, be able to provide these rapid tests to the people so people know, hey, I'm sick. I got to stay home. I, I can't put my loved ones at risk. Yeah, I, I hope that is something that they do. There is also, like I said, you can't get, uh, you know, twenty like $23 for two tests at drugstores. Um, and those are not, uh, don't have that much of a difference of uh, false um, negatives as the, the uh, $60 test. Um, but I, I do think that that is, uh, for school, I think they're doing them now to do the rapid test for that. Uh, but to bring them out in the general public at the workplace, I do think that is a, is a good idea. Um, and I will, um, contact the health department to, to advocate for that. Awesome. Gene, uh, I want to say right before we let you go, you know, uh, Kevin Hardwick's been our go-to Democrat legislator on Hardline. Now with him uh, becoming the comptroller, I'm hoping that I can count on you to be our go-to Democrat legislator here on Hardline. Well, I do think it's really important that no programs and no television shows and no radio shows and no stations are all Democrat or all Republican. And that's why I do think it was really important for me to come on. I was glad that you asked me. And um, and I and I you know I, I will be your go-to, but I also think that all Democrat. I mean that I think that there should be outreach on all sides. And hey, it's, I I agree with that. And uh, Gene, next time you have the county executives here, let them know we'd love to have them on the show. All right, thank you. Thank you, Gene. Have a great week and go Bills. Yeah, thank you. Go Bills. All right, that is Gene Vinyl uh, giving the counter. So we had Joe Larigo giving uh, from his side of the aisle. Gene Vinyl from her side of the aisle, and I think we'll hear from uh, both of them more uh, more often here on Hardline. We are late as uh, Meet the Press is already in progress. We're going to hit a break and then Meet the Press right here on News Radio 930 WBEN Buffalo. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively sports. Back clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. It's better over here. After investing billions to light up our network, T-Mobile is America's largest 5G network. Plus, right now, you can switch, keep your phone, and we'll pay it off up to $800. See how you can save on every plan versus Verizon and AT&T at T-Mobile.com slash across America. Up to four lines via virtual prepaid card. A left 15 days. Qualifying unlocked device credit service ported 90 plus days with device and eligible carrier and timely redemption required. Card has no cash access and expires in six months. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. 